0: Sabbath School Lesson 8 for November 16-22 to God and the Covenant, read by Dr. Percy Harold Sabbath afternoon, November 16 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a history in your word of the agreements, the covenants that you had with your people and with individuals. And, as we study about this this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that the words may jump out at us and grab us and show us what it is like to be working with you, being a friend with you, and also knowing who you are and our responsibility towards you. Bless us each one, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Nehemiah chapter 9, verses. Thirty-eight, and chapter ten, verse thirty-nine, and the second part of that. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. We will not neglect the house of our God. Let's read that again. That's Nehemiah nine thirty-eight, and the second part of. 1039. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, our leaders, our Levites and our priests seal it. We will not neglect the house of our God. What does the Bible mean when it talks about the covenant? The easiest explanation of this kind of biblical covenant is that it is the legal establishment of a relationship between God and his people. It is God saying, You are my people, and I am your God. Beyond this, we can find the use of written covenants among other people in the ancient world, often between leaders and the vassals under them. These covenants were established because they were beneficial to both parties. The leader would take care of the people, and the people would pay tribute. But with God, the covenant was different. God wasn't really getting anything out of it, and yet He promised to be faithful to it even when people were not. Indeed, the blessings and curses attached to the covenant made it possible for the Israelites to know when bad things started happening that they had been breaking the covenant. This week, we will look at the covenant that the Israelites renewed with God in Nehemiah chapter 10, and also discuss some general information about the history and importance of covenant-making in the Bible. Sunday, November 17, The idea of the covenant. Question: Read Nehemiah chapter ten, verses one through twenty-one, and refresh your memory by reading Nehemiah nine, thirty-six to thirty-eight. Who is making this covenant, and why did they enter into it? Nehemiah chapter ten. Beginning at verse 1. Now, those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and Zedekiah, Saraiya, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malchijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Malach, Haram, Memoroth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Barak, Meshalem, Abijah, Majamin, Maziah, Bilgal, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. The Levites, Jeshua the son of Azariah, Benai the, of the heads of Hanadah and kadmai their brethren, Shebaniah, Hodjadiah, Kelita, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, zachar,. Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Bani, and Beninu. The leaders of the people, Parosh, Pathap, Parhath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Bani, Asgod, Bibai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Ata, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodijah, Hashem, Bezai, Harif, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Meshalem, Hiza, Meshezabel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hosea, Hananiah, Haseb, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Marseiah, Ahijah, Hanan, Anan, Malak, Haram, and Benar. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethinim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding... These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law.' which was given by Moses the servant of God and to observe to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes and remember Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 36 to 38 here we are servants today and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty here we are servants in it and it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins also They have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And, because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and all the priests seal it. Although only the leaders signed the document, the text pointedly notes that all of the rest of the people entered into a curse and an oath to follow the law of God, as we read in Nehemiah 10, 28 and 29. What was so significant about the covenant that they all desired to enter into an agreement with God? In order to answer this question, we have to go back to the very beginning and understand the biblical idea of the covenant. The covenant was important because it was part of God's story in dealing with sinful humanity, and it demonstrated God's yearning for a relationship with people. It also allowed people to demonstrate their desire to be dedicated to God. The biblical creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 reveal not only the creation of the first humans but the relationship between them and God and between each other as well. However, sin then entered and broke all those relationships. Sin is the antithesis of creation bringing decreation or death instead. The genealogy of Adam eventually splits as Cain chooses evil in Genesis 4, 8-19, and Seth embraces God in chapter 5, verses 3-24. to Let's just read those. Um, Cain chooses evil in Genesis 4, verses 8-19. to Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth." And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehujal, and Mehujal begat Methuselel, and Methuselel begat Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Seth embraces God, we read about in Genesis 5, verses 3 to 24. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were eight hundred years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. Seth lived one hundred and five years, and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived eight hundred and seven years, and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twenty years, and he died. Enosh lived ninety years and begot canaan after he begot canaan enosh lived eight hundred and fifteen years and had sons and daughters so all the days of enosh were nine hundred and five years and he died canaan lived seventy years and begot mahalalel After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years, and he had sons and daughters, so all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters, so all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Cain's genealogy culminates in Lamech, who we read about in Genesis four, seventeen to 19 just a moment ago, the seventh inclusively from Adam, who introduced polygamy. Violence and vengeance on Cain's side stand in juxtaposition to the faithful lineage of Seth. Seth's genealogy also is enumerated, but the seventh in this line is Enoch, who walked with God, as it said in Genesis 5.24, and was taken to heaven. Unfortunately, The world embraced evil more than it did God, and the lineage of the faithful became very small, creating a real possibility of eliminating any family through whom God could fulfil his word by sending the promised seed to save humans. At that point, God intervened with the flood. The flood, however, was a further decreation, a reversal and destruction of life, and yet God destroyed only what humans had already ruined, as we read in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So to finish the day, how have you personally experienced the reality of sin's destructive force? What's the only power against sin, and how do we avail ourselves of it? Sunday, November 18, Covenants in History After the flood, God began again, now with Noah and the people who came afterwards. With them too, he sought a relationship, and central to that relationship was the idea of covenant. The Bible identifies seven major covenants that God has made with people. The first covenant was with Adam in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. The second covenant was with Noah in Genesis 6, 7 and 8 and 9. The third covenant was with Abraham, which I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, "'Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you.'" And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The fourth covenant, which was with Moses and the Israelite nation, known as the Sinaitic or Mosaic covenant, uh, we read about in Exodus chapter 19 through to chapter 24. The fifth covenant was with Phinehas. We read about that in Numbers chapter 25, verses 10 to 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "'Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, "'has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, "'because he was zealous with my zeal among them, "'so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. "'Therefore say, "'Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace.' and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his god and made atonement for the children of israel and then there was the sixth covenant which we read about in second samuel chapter 7 verses 5 to 16 Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from this following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house." When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever I will be his father and he shall be my son if he commits iniquity I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men but My mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established for ever before you. Your throne shall be established for ever. And then there was the seventh covenant, which we read about in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Question read the following texts what do they mean by the everlasting covenant genesis nine verse sixteen and chapter seventeen verse seven isaiah fifty five three and hebrews thirteen verse twenty genesis nine sixteen reads the rainbow shall be in the cloud and i will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between god and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And Genesis 17, verse 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in all their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And Isaiah 55, verse 3, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies Of David. And Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The Bible incorporates the term everlasting covenant sixteen times. Out of them, thirteen are specifically applied to the covenants with Abraham, Israel, at Sinai, and David. Each of the covenants mentioned above, although unique, bore the imprint of the everlasting covenant. Just as the everlasting gospel is first announced in Genesis 3.15, but then progressively revealed throughout the Bible, the same applies to the everlasting covenant. Each consecutive covenant serves to expound and deepen our understanding of the everlasting covenant of love, which is revealed most fully in the plan of salvation. The new and old covenants, as they are often distinguished, contain the same components. 1. Sanctification. Jeremiah 31.33 reads, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. And we'll compare that with Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And two, reconciliation. I will be their God, and they shall be my people, it says in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. And Hebrews 8.10 again, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And three, mission. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. That's Jeremiah 31, verse 34. And we compare that with Hebrews 8, verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And justification, that's number four. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. And we Read that again in Hebrews 8 verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Tuesday, November 19, Covenantal Structure Bible scholars recognise that there is a typical structure to biblical covenants. This was seen even in covenants made by the ancient Hittites. That is, God communicated to the people in a manner that they, in their culture, could especially understand. The covenants that were common during the time of ancient Israel had the following parts. A preamble, who God is, historical prologue, that's the past relationship defined, stipulations or laws, blessings and cursings, witnesses, special provision or sign of the covenant. Thus, it should be no surprise that God used something similar in communicating to his people back then. He used what they were familiar with. For example, the whole book of Deuteronomy is written in the form of a covenant because Moses invites God's people to enter into a new covenant relationship with their God. It expresses the covenant in the following manner. 1. A preamble in Deuteronomy 1 verses 1 through 5 2. Historical prologue Deuteronomy 1, 6, through to chapter 4, verse 43. 3. Stipulations or laws. Deuteronomy 4, verse 44, through to chapter 26, verse 19. 4. Blessings and curses. Chapter 27, through to chapter 30. And 5. Witnesses. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. And finally, 6. Special provision, Deuteronomy thirty-one, verses nine to thirteen. Question: Read Joshua twenty-four. How is this covenant pattern revealed in that chapter as well? Joshua 24, beginning at verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea.' said they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the "'Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, "'but I delivered them into your hand. "'I sent the hornet before you, "'which drove them out from before you, "'also the two kings of the Amorites, "'but not with your sword or with your bow. "'I have given you a land for which you did not labour, "'and cities which you did not build, "'and you dwell in them. "'You eat of the vineyards and olive graves "'which you did not plant.' Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone, and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being one hundred and ten years old. And they buried him with them in the border of his inheritance at Timnathserah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. Israel Served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried in Shechem, in the plot of ground which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. The same is true with the renewal of the covenant made by Joshua. First, a preamble is mentioned in which God presents himself as the Lord, the God of Israel. In Joshua 24, verse 2, then follows a long historical prologue through which Joshua reminds the people of what God has done for them in the past, in verses 2 to 13. After this history, the stipulations of the laws are enumerated, in verses 14, 15, and 23. Blessings and curses are mentioned in verses 19 and 20. Witnesses identified in verses 22 and 27. And special provisions stated in verses 25 and 26. Here too, the basic form of a covenant was used to communicate with the Israelites and show them not only God's leading in their past, but what was required of them to uphold their end of the covenant. So to finish today, read Joshua 24 verse 15. What principle is here that we can apply to ourselves today? And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river— or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wednesday, November 20, PLEDGES Question, read Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 30 through 39. What are four things the Israelites pledged to do as part of the renewed covenant? Nehemiah 10, beginning at verse 30. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written... In the law, And we made ordinances to bring the firstfruits of our ground and the firstfruits of all fruit of our trees, year by year, to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the firstfruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees the new wine and oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse." For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. The people pledged the following. 1. No mixed marriages. No marriage to an individual who could lead one into idolatry. 2. True Sabbath observance, no distractions through business transactions. 3. Debt cancellation and sabbatical year observance to care for the poor and give them freedom. 4. Financially supporting the temple, its services and personnel through bringing the first fruits, the firstborn and the tithe, thus ensuring the continuation of true worship. The first three pledges related to relationships with others, that's marriage and debt cancellation, and with God, the Sabbath, while the last one, Nehemiah 10.32-39, deals with temple regulations. The goal of the community was to demonstrate that the people were committed to the covenant, and therefore would implement practical ways of building their relationship with God and others, Even if they didn't always keep the covenant perfectly, they understood that right habits and practices would influence the future. If the Israelite nation was going to get on the right path, it had to establish practices and habits that would be conducive to where it wanted to be. If the people wanted to have a close walk with God, then making the Sabbath important and taking care of the temple were important steps in that direction. Unfortunately, they didn't keep their pledges very well as demonstrated in the last chapters of Nehemiah. Yet, even if everyone didn't keep them, some or many people did. With God's help and keeping our focus on Him, we can develop the right habits and stick to the right path. So to finish today, a quote from Steps to Christ, page 48. Through the right exercise of the will, an entire change can be made in your life. By yielding up your will to Christ, you ally yourself with the power that is above all principalities and powers. You will have strength from above to hold you steadfast, and thus, through constant surrender to God, you will be enabled to live the new life, even the life of faith. End of quote. What's holding you back from experiencing what's written here? Thursday, November 21, The Temple Question, look at Nehemiah 10 verses 32 to 39 again. Why were the temple's practices essential for the Israelites, as shown by we will not neglect the house of our God in verse 39? Why was the temple so important for the faith as a whole? And we'll also look at Hebrews 8, verses 1 to 7. But first of all, Nehemiah 10, beginning at verse 32. Also, we make ordinances for ourselves, to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offering to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to our fathers' houses, at the appointed times, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground— and the firstfruits of all the fruit of our trees, year by year, to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, to the house of our God, to the priest who minister in the house of our God, to bring the firstfruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priests to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities, and the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine and the oil, to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. And we will not neglect the house of our God. And Hebrews 8 verses 1 to 7. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, He would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now... He has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. The Israelites pledged to take care of the temple. Even though they were a small group financially oppressed by the kings, they decided they needed to give from the little they had in order for the temple to thrive and not just survive. Therefore, they chose to give a third of a shekel for the temple service every year, instead of just when the census happened, as the law commanded they allotted the responsibility for burning firewood on the altar to specific families as they recognised that, without organisation, the practice would wane. First fruits, firstborns, and tithes and offerings were aspects of the temple service that provided for the ministry of the priests and Levites. A tenth of everything was to go to the Levites. Also, firstborns were redeemed by money, adding to the amount the Levites received. However, a tenth of the Levites' tenth, went to the priests. The temple served as the heartbeat of the Israelite nation. It was so central to their faith that the greatest tragedy occurred when Nebuchadnezzar tore down the temple and carried away the sacred objects. When the temple was properly managed, it gave the nation a vibrant spiritual life because it pointed the people to the ultimate solution to the sin problem, which was through the death of the Lamb. When Jesus died on the cross, that solution was provided, as we read in Romans chapter 5... Verses 5-10 to Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Moreover, Through the yearly service of the Day of Atonement, the people learned that ultimately God had a plan to get rid of evil and sin for good. In other words, the temple served as the setting for revealing to the people the entire plan of salvation. The lessons we can gain through looking at the temple services are immense and necessary to give us a bigger picture of God's character and to illuminate the plan of salvation. And so to finish the day, First 1 Timothy one fifteen reads, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. What was Paul's hope, and how can we make it our own hope as well? Friday, November 22. From the book The Great Controversy, page 418, we read The ministration of the earthly sanctuary consisted of two divisions. The priests ministered daily in the holy place, while once a year the high priest performed a special work of atonement in the most holy for the cleansing of the sanctuary. Day by day, the repentant sinner brought his offering to the door of the tabernacle, and placed his hand upon the victim's head, confessed his sins, thus in figure transferring them from himself to the innocent sacrifice. The animal was then slain. Without shedding of blood, says the apostle, there is no remission of sin. The life of the flesh is in the blood, we read in Leviticus 17.11. The broken law of God demanded the life of the transgressor. The blood, representing the forfeited life of the sinner, whose guilt the victim bore, was carried by the priest into the holy place and sprinkled before the veil, behind which was the ark containing the law that the sinner had transgressed. By this ceremony, the sin was, through the blood, transferred in figure to the sanctuary. In some cases, the blood was not taken into the holy place, but the flesh was taken to be eaten by the priest, as Moses directed the sons of Aaron, saying, God hath given it to you to bear the iniquity of the congregation, Leviticus 10.17. Both ceremonies alike symbolize the transfer of the sin from the penitent Two, the sanctuary, end of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Think about pledges you have made that you have broken, no matter how sincere and earnest you were in intending to keep them. What have you learned from that experience that perhaps can help keep you from making a similar mistake again? 2. Covenant is a legal establishment of a relationship. We broke it with God, but he is always faithful to his part, even when we are not to ours. How can this understanding of God's goodness and faithfulness draw humans into a close relationship with him and thus help us live as we should? Three, think of how many times you have been unfaithful to God and to promises we have under the new covenant. As we read in Luke 22, verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And Hebrews 8, verse 13, in that he says, A new covenant, He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And Hebrews 9.15 And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Why is it so important then? to understand the plan of salvation and the promise of forgiveness that we have because of the sacrifice of Jesus, whose blood sealed the new covenant for us. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Volleyball Evangelism, and it's by Wilson Mirsapogu. Man Bahandur Rai and his family believed that six spirits inhabited their home in a rural village near Nepal's border with China. Six clay pots were placed around the home for the spirits to live in. Whenever Mother cooked a meal, she placed food into each pot for the spirits to eat. She feared that even if one spirit were forgotten, the whole family would suffer indigestion or worse. The parents wielded great influence in the village as the local spiritual leaders, and they hated Christianity, the belief in an unseen God. They preferred their visible gods of metal and wood. One evening... 18-year-old Mann was walking home after work and heard a male voice speaking about a virgin who had a child. Mann wondered who was making such an illogical statement. He followed the voice to a building and saw a man reading from a black book. After the meeting, Mann argued with the man over his teachings. The man, a visiting Seventh-day Adventist pastor, simply smiled and invited the teen to return the next evening. After a week of meetings, Mahn obtained a Bible and determined to prove it wrong. The more he read, however, the more he felt convinced that Jesus is the living God. He gave his heart to Jesus. Father was furious when Mahn announced that he had become a Christian. He beat the teen and chased him from the village. Mother wept all night. In the morning, she asked a friend to find her son and give him a lamb. Man accepted the lamb with joy and, after praying, felt a strong impression to sell it and buy a volleyball and net. Finding a piece of unused land between five villages, Man set up the volleyball net and started to play. Soon, several young people passed by and asked if they could join him. "'Sure,' Man said." But you have to memorise one Bible verse. The young people eagerly memorised a verse and began to play. As they played, other young people stopped and memorised verses to join in. When the match ended, the young people pleaded to play again. OK, Mahn said, but first you have to learn a song about my God. Before long, many had memorised whole Bible chapters and Christian songs. Then Mahn heard that I would conduct a Bible school, and he shared his story on the first day. He introduced three young men seated nearby. This is the result of my volleyball evangelism, he said. These men have accepted Jesus and want to become Bible workers too. Mahn, who's seen on the left, who had been disowned by his family, is no theologian. He is a front-line worker building a new family who will live forever in God's kingdom. And the article was written by Wilson Mearsapogo, who is Executive Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's Southern Asia Division. This week's lesson has been read by Dr Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. It is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department, and through the services of Christian Services for the Blind. A video of this podcast also occurs on YouTube. Remember, God is always faithful.